Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. There are nearly 20 million military vets in the U.S. And each week we focus on their stories. This is CBS Eye on Veterans. All right, welcome back. I'm Navy vet Phil Briggs reporting for the military news and veteran lifestyle website, ConnectingVets.com. And today, well, we're celebrating Veterans Day weekend. Yeah, we're going to stretch it into a whole weekend and uh, we got a great show for you. We'll get things started with answering the question, where are the best places in America for vets to live? WalletHub.com recently crunched a lot of numbers and came out with the top 100. And here to tell us more about it is WalletHub's list master, Jill Gonzalez. Jill, happy Veterans Day weekend to you. Thank you. Likewise. Right on. Well, I always love it when you guys come out with these lists because it shows the cities with things we don't normally see with the naked eye. And before we get into the best and the worst cities, let's talk about the methodology. How did you rank the best places to live in America? So, yeah, this is obviously just looking not only at the best places to live, but specifically the best places to live for veterans. So we not only looked at things like the quality of life, but also healthcare, you know, VA facilities, things like that, the economy overall, employment. I mean, employment is a big one because most people that retire from the military are around 35 years old. So they are not done working at all. They really have to transfer their skills to a good environment. And right now, fortunately, the unemployment rate for vets is very low. It's 2.7% compared to 3.4% for the overall population. So that's good news. Hey, can I ask real quick when to talk about quality of life? That was the only one I had a question on. What were some of the metrics under quality of life? Quality of life is more so what you think of, you know, when you're thinking of anywhere to live. So family friendliness, but also retiree friendliness, things like 
the projected veteran population and population growth that you're around like-minded people and even little things, right? Like restaurants and art and entertainment establishments that offer military discounts. Nice. All right. So there's plenty of IHOPs in these great cities. That's awesome. Uh, (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about some of the metrics. Uh, You could make a list within a list for some of these. And because I noticed you were judging on employment and economy, uh, I found it interesting that you could rank cities individually on each one of those metrics. And what I wanted to talk about was looking at the cities that did well by offering the highest percent of military skill related jobs. That right there is its own list. Talk to me about some of the cities that did well at offering jobs related to their military skills. Yeah, and this was kind of all over the place. Uh, Fremont, California ranked number one in terms of military skill related jobs. There's a pretty big difference, right? That number in Fremont is about twice as high as it is in, say, Las Vegas or Miami. So there's a, a big difference. Number two was Madison, Wisconsin. Three, Durham, North Carolina. Four, San Jose, California. And five, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Also, another metric I found kind of interesting was uh, low veteran unemployment. There were some cities that did really well with low veteran unemployment. And that could either mean that obviously they love veterans and they love to hire vets or that that jobs are just plentiful. Uh, Talk to me about some of the cities that did well there. Yeah, this also kind of all over the place. Lincoln, Nebraska, Irving, Texas, Columbus, Ohio, Oklahoma City, Chesapeake, Virginia, all about 20 times better of an unemployment rate than, say, Baton Rouge, Buffalo, Detroit, Newark. So, you know, some of those places, Detroit, Newark, they do just do not have a good unemployment rate kind of to begin with. So it's tough to move up. Uh, but you know, some places, especially when we look at Irving and Columbus and Oklahoma City, they have not only just a higher chance of hiring veterans, but more veteran-owned businesses. So that obviously helps as well. Great stuff. Let's get to the one that combined all of the factors now. Again, we're looking at cities that really tested well when it came to employment, economies, quality of life, and health. Let's start backwards. Let's start with the ones that didn't do so well. Yeah, as far as places that need the most improvement in terms of, you know, really being there for their veterans, we touched on some of these before, but Baton Rouge was in the bottom five, Baltimore, Memphis, Newark, New Jersey, and Detroit was number 100 here. So not just, you know, needing improvement when it comes to those employment opportunities, but across the board, you know, we looked at this especially healthcare, a lot of these places could, you know, use some improvement when it comes to VA health facilities, not just the number of them, but the quality of them as well. Uh, VA benefits administration facilities, the percentage of residents uh, who are using these things. So that's, you know, a big factor here. Yeah. And one that stands out just because it's in my backyard, of course, Baltimore, Maryland. We're from Washington, D.C. here with this show, but Baltimore is right up the road. And yeah, I could see that where it is. It got incredible health care. Johns Hopkins University is in Baltimore, but maybe for the VA centric kind of health care, it might not be as immediately accessible and thus making Baltimore fall further down the list. Then there's some that just shine when you crunch all the numbers, you look at all this data from quality of life to economy to health care. Some of them just stand out and and 
most notably, I wasn't surprised at two of the states. Well, really three of the states in the top six here, but let's go over those. Yeah, Orlando and Tampa, uh, sixth and fifth, respectively. Madison, we've touched on, you know, a lot of good things going on there was number four. Laredo, Texas, number three. Austin, Texas, number two. And Raleigh, North Carolina was number one. Yeah, that's just, uh, that's great. Do you see any trends there when you look at the states that are consistently at the top of this list with uh, states like Florida and Texas and North Carolina? Yeah, I mean, all of them, you know, Florida, Texas, North Carolina, they're good places to retire for anyone. Uh, So, you know, that's certainly helpful when we're just looking at, you know, taxation, quality of life stuff. Uh, But when it comes to, you know, a lot of those, again, military skill related jobs, that's super helpful here. That is one thing that did boost them upwards, Uh, you know, and healthcare as well is pretty good, especially in some of the Texas cities, you, especially for vets, you have some really quality health care. It's kind of amusing, if nothing else, to look at Raleigh being number one when you think about how many Army vets spend a lot of their career at Bragg just down the street in Fayetteville. And it's like, hey, guys, look, you'll probably never leave this state. You can retire here and do really well in your next career. Um but it's cool to see Raleigh. I got family down there. And uh, yeah, from there on down to Southern Pines and the Pinehurst area, it is a great state for vets. You really can't drive through North Carolina. Have you ever spent any time in North Carolina? You can't drive through North Carolina and not see a car that's got a vet sticker on it. Yeah, exactly. And that's part of it. You know, a lot of people choose to stick around to where they were stationed for a long time. And that's what you see with, with honestly, a lot of these cities that did you know, well in the top 20. Um, But yeah, you know, you kind of stick to what you know. And because of that, there is a very high population of veterans. And it's kind of, you know, like a cyclical thing, because there are more vets, the surrounding area makes sure that it's a good place for vets, and then more vets go. Was there anyone that stood out? And I'm looking at a Western state here that I just wouldn't think of as far as a state that I might retire to, or I might find a great second career in, but uh, it's not Wyoming. It's not Montana. It's over in that neck of the woods. Does that one kind of stand out to you? And what do you suspect was great about that? It does. It's interesting. So we went over the top six. Number seven is Boise and Boise has kind of, I don't think that it was in the top 10 previous couple of years, but it's kind of had this resurgence, especially during the pandemic where, you know, people get out there, they have wide open spaces, they're able to live off the land a little bit more, kind of be off the grid, have more space to themselves if they are doing a remote job. So Boise has had a resurgence. I think it's still getting used to it. You know, the employment factors are there for vets, the quality of life is there for vets. Healthcare leaves a little bit to be desired. So that's why it's not in the top five, but I would Look for it to make it there shortly. Idaho. It's a beautiful place, especially that quality of life, man. You want to get out and do some hiking, some biking, uh, skiing, just all year round, man. Boise is a great, great spot. But Raleigh, North Carolina, coming in the number one best city for veterans to live. And it is all available for you at wallethub.com. Jill Gonzalez, always appreciate you helping us uh, figure out how to live our best life according to the numbers. Anytime. Now this year, Veterans Day is being celebrated by some all weekend long. And Sunday, November 13th is the return of Vets Aid. 
the fundraising rock concert for vets and veteran support organizations. And earlier this week, I had a chance to talk about the star-studded show with the founder and classic rock icon, Joe Walsh. Once again, it's good to be with Eagles guitar legend, Mr. Joe Walsh. Joe, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. How's it going on that end? Super good. Um, I am really psyched to talk to you again this year about Vets Aid because for mm-hmm. the last couple years, man, it has, you know, we had we had this thing called COVID and it really put a cramp in concerts. And for one year, we couldn't have them. For the next year, we did them from your house. I'm damn glad to hear about you on stage. Tell me what I need to know about this year's Vets Aid. Well, this year's Vets Aid is in Columbus, Ohio. And it's uh, all Ohio bands. And I got the James Gang back together after uh, an extended vacation, shall we say. (laughs) (laughs) And Nine Inch Nails, special guest Dave Grohl, the Black Keys, and a band called The Breeders from Dayton, Ohio. And uh, it's all Ohio. It's a shame Michael Stanley can't be there because he'll be there in spirit. This year, all of the money raised is going to go to Ohio Vets Services. Very good. A little bit to unpack there. And I first want to rewind like we do every time we chat. But for those that are unaware of your deep connection to the military, tell me about from the earliest, earliest days, your connection to the military? Well, I I am a gold star kid, but uh, my father died in 1949 in uh, active duty. He was a flight instructor for the Lockheed F-80 shooting star, the first operational jet in some old black and white Korean footage You can see that plane. It had gas tanks at the end of the wings. Uh, He died in 1949. I was born in 1947. So I didn't really know him growing up. Uh, Eventually, I had a stepfather who had my back for uh, my whole life. But I grew up, and in those days... That was just too bad. Oh, that's a shame your father died. There was no gold star, gold star category or gold star community. So I'm resonant to gold star families when a loved one doesn't come home. And I have always kind of paid attention when people don't come home from war because I know what the families and the children go through. So I have that connection. And then I used to go to Walter Reed Hospital in Washington, D.C. They have a prosthetic floor where vets are fitted for prosthetic limbs. And when the Eagles play in Washington, D.C., I just decided I would go there every time we played and visit I didn't know what to do at first. I took some swag, some T-shirts and hats, and I didn't know how to interact with everybody, but I thanked them for their service. Some of them didn't even know who I was, but one guy had a guitar. 
And he said, uh, he brought his guitar out and uh, he said, can you play Hotel California? And so I tuned that up and played Hotel California and the room lit up, of course, and a couple other guys brought guitar. So it turned into a guitar seminar. And the difference I saw between when I first walked in, because these guys weren't mad or or bitter or anything. They just wanted to get fitted with their prosthetic limb. And the difference between them then and when I left was profound. And so I realized that I made a difference there. But I, I just was thinking, how, what can I do in terms of for a benefit? What can I do? What cause can I get behind? And I thought, vets in general. I don't think there's enough support for vets. I don't think there's enough awareness of what the vets have gone through. And transition back to civilian life is almost too much of a mountain to climb. And I just cannot handle a homeless vet with a cardboard sign asking for help. So I decided to form Vets Aid, and uh, I think it's the sixth year, and I have raised money all of those years, and we have about $2 million we've been able to disseminate to vets and vet services throughout the country. That was Thank long, you. long-winded, but... No, no. In fact, Joe, I love it, man. Every time I talk to you, I get yeah. more than I thought I'd get. Yeah. Incredible backstory there. And thank you for painting that. Um, I'll share with the audience. Fun fact. I once met a veteran who was at that Walter Reed that day that you gave that guitar clinic. Oh, wow. I, don't, I don't know if he was sitting down with you at the jam session or whether he was just one of the quiet observers in the back, but he told me he was there just completely floored that you were who you were. Cause he wasn't sure it was real. He was like, I don't know. Is that really one of the guys from the Eagles? I don't know. He looks like that guy. And uh, another fun fact that um veterans to this day, you talk about a salty, good natured bunch that can handle the stuff life throws at them. Um, they call the wound a paper cut. So if you see a veteran that's lost a leg below the knee, they always, you know, they bust each other's chops and they're like, oh, you got a paper cut because it's only a significant injury if it's above the knee. And that just goes to show you the spirit of veterans and their uh, their ability to drive through and to, you know, really persevere again. Oh, I agree. And it's such a wonderful brotherhood and community. It really is. I, I agree. I'm amazed at their disposition and where their head's at. I mean, they knew they were going to be in harm's way, and they knew what might happen, and they just want to get back to their life, and they deserve that chance. So glad you're helping them through the concert Vets Aid. You know what? I wanted to just talk a little bit about the significance of this year's, the fact that it's in Ohio. It's not lost on me how significant the music era of Vietnam and that classic rock era of like late 60s, early 70s, how filled it is with musicians from Ohio. 
most namely Kent State. And I was wondering if you could just share with me some of your famous friends that are from your days in college. And really just, I think people will be amazed that these are some of the biggest names in classic rock. Well, Kent was this little college town with some great places to play. And of course, uh, I think 11,000 people on campus that would come downtown. And a whole bunch of us did our 10,000 hours there. Uh, the James Gang came out of there. Phil Keggy and the Glass Harp came out of there. Chrissy Hines was from Akron. The Pretenders, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Michael Stanley, of course, from Cleveland. Devo came out of uh, Kent. Whip it. Whip it good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and it was a wonderful community of people who were able to play live shows and have people come and support them. Because of that, they started writing music. And that's the way it should be. Now, I've always kind of wanted to know, knowing that you came through and came up through Kent State, um, were you there or did you were you witness to? The protests that, you know, uh, obviously got penned by Neil Young and the famous Crosby, Stills, Nash, you know, that song and everything. Were you there during that era or do you just... Uh, I'll just say, yes, I attended Kent State at the time and I was there the day of the shooting. That's all I'll say. Well, first of all, there was no disliking of the troops. We were trying to get them home because we thought it was an illegal war. But there was there was a divide in the country. I would say that there's a divide in the country now that is quantum leap from the 70s. And that bothers me a lot. People have a way of looking at it, and if you don't look at it that way, you're almost the enemy. And in a democracy, that's really upsetting. One thing I'm grateful for is that the Eagles can still play live concerts. And people come who would not normally sit close to each other, who would strongly disagree to the point where there's a chance there could be violence. And none of that matters at an Eagles show. People come and for three hours, they sit there and they have a great time. And everybody sings along and everybody goes home happy. It's like a little break from the insanity of these COVID days. And and that's the America that I love, that kind of mentality. Rock and roll, man. It's really the tie that binds. And, uh, you know, whether you're standing on a corner in Winslow, Arizona, or you're living life in the fast lane, I'm just so glad that uh, there are things that do bring us together because you're right. The world is uh, ugh, the world is divided. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about some of the other guests that are going to be on this bill for Vets Aid on November 13th. Uh, you'd mentioned some of the names. Uh, Dave Grohl jumps out. I know Dave Grohl from his youth in the D.C. area. What connection do you have to Dave Grohl? Oh, he's and- from Ohio. 
When we left Ohio, we went in all directions all at the same time. And uh, I spent a considerable amount of my childhood in Columbus. He was from uh, Warren, uh, Youngstown area. Hmm. I don't know exactly the city. And the Nine Inch Nails, Trent is from Ohio. The guys in the Black Keys are from Akron. And like I said, the Breeders are a great sister group, two sisters, and they can really rock it. Killer song. I think it's called Cannonball that they have. That's awesome. But okay, so Ohio natives, everything. Do you know Dave Grohl outside of just being from Ohio? You ever joined with Dave Grohl? Sure. I, I met Dave actually through Taylor Hawkins. Uh, the James Gang was, I would say, probably Taylor's favorite band ever. And, uh, Taylor was like a little brother to me. And I didn't see that coming and I'm still not over it. There's kind of a hole in my heart. If you knew Taylor, he was wonderful, wonderful, wonderful energy, a good straight across guy and a hell of a drummer. But I was around Taylor a lot. And one of those times, Dave Grohl was there and I met Dave. And, you know, Dave, Nirvana was a three piece band and so was the James Gang. And Dave said, you know, we we put Nirvana together because from watching you guys, and so right there, I guess that was that was a compliment, of course. But there's a mentality in the three-piece band because on a good night, there's nothing better. And on a bad night, there's nothing worse. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's a brotherhood of people who have been in three-piece bands. And Dave and I always had that. And uh, the more we got to know each other, the more we found out about each other, the more I liked him. I wasn't sure if I liked him or not before I met him. <laughs> but then I met him, and he's wonderful. And for trios, I'll give you that. James Gang, Nirvana. Like, it's amazing. There's only three people in those bands, right? Uh, ZZ Top's right up there is another one. Like, how do they make that much sound for just three guys? And uh, since the second I heard Funk 49... You got it, man. You got it. Hey, we'd be remiss if we didn't stick the landing here and talk a little bit about some of the veteran charities that you're supporting. I heard you say at the top, you're going to support a great veteran charity with this year's Vets Aid. Uh, tell me a little bit about them. Well, there's 15 groups this year, large and small, all based in Ohio or have committed to using funds on the ground in Ohio. For example, there's a grant going to redo the whole floor of the VFW post in Columbus. And the floor is not safe for wheelchairs. So Mm -hmm. we're giving them a new floor. There's an organization called Stock Hands for Horses, which is introducing veterans to horses and equine therapy. That's in Delaware, Ohio. There's an organization called Q&L Foundation funding graduate student research in Cincinnati to improve wheelchair functions for vets, especially locks. They don't really have people push them around. They're on their own in their wheelchair, and the wheelchairs could be changed so that they would function much better. 
citizen organization called Paralyzed Vets in America. We gave a grant to their Buckeye chapter. And a whole bunch of people are vetted, and we try and help all of them that are legit. Well, you've done a great job. As we end, is there any veteran success story or any veteran that stands out in your mind over the last several years since you've been doing this that just is like, man, I met this one vet and we are brothers? Yeah, there's a couple. Uh, we gave an Iraq vet funds for a van, and the vet had a mobile clothing boutique in the, in Connecticut. And I met the gentleman, and that's all he did. He He had clothes and stuff like that that vets need and he went around and went to them because they couldn't really get to him and another one after 2018 a large grant was provided for college scholarships for gold star kids and debt payoff for children of war vets uh, through an organization called children of fallen patriots Another really good one was we, we helped finalize construction at a Midwest veteran's home. You can look that up. It's a guy who had a, a, a farm and a lot of land, and he started building units, like apartment units. And all you had to do was be a homeless vet. And you show up and you get a unit, and then you help build more units. And look that up, Midwest veterans. I know it doesn't take long to look at the achievements of this concert series over the last five years, but the, but the organizations that you've helped as we've covered over the years, um, have just changed lives. And I think it's just so cool that besides being a rock star, uh, at your core, you've never forgot who you were, Joe. And at your core, man, you've always wanted to help. You always wanted to help our brothers and sisters and you do such a damn good job, man. So, uh, vets aid this year is in Ohio. Attack of the Ohioans, the James Gang. You got Dave Grohl in there, the Breeders, uh, the Black Keys, and uh, Joe Walsh always picking and grinning on stage, man. Good to see you. I want to say, unfortunately, it sold out, but we're going to stream it. It's online. Just go to vetsaid.org yeah. for either a donation or sign up. I think we're going to stream for the whole weekend. I'm hoping a whole bunch of people will watch it because I think it's going to be an amazing five-hour show. I don't know the combination of those musicians that are going to say, the hell with our bands, let's go on stage and pick some <laughs> rear end. You know, I, I don't know. Something tells me you, the Black Keys, Grohl up there. It's going to be hard to get you guys off stage. Yes, it is. Cool. Yes, it is. Very cool. Vets Aid 2022, return of the James Gang. Joe Walsh, thank you for everything you do, brother. Thank you. Now, next up, we're going to take a look at the best college majors for veterans in 2022 and beyond. And I recently got the inside scoop from a vet in Tokyo, Japan. Will Stevens went from the Air Force to a master's in cybersecurity, but is now the director of enrollment for University of Maryland Global Campus in Asia. We talked about his path and how it's a great example of finding your next career based on what you like, not necessarily what you did in the military. And we talked about how a degree from UMGC can open doors for all veterans. 
So yeah, I am retired Air Force. Uh, I joined the Air Force in 2000. Um, so I was actually over here in Yakota as active duty in emergency management for the Air Force uh, on 9-11, which was in the evening time here. So uh, yeah, I clearly remember that moment being like, wait, what did I sign up for? You know, like what's going to happen next? And then uh, within less than a year, I was uh, over in the Middle East uh, doing some initial kind of uh, set up and those sorts of things at some forward operating bases and that sort of thing. Uh, overall, I deployed uh, um, maybe six times, I think, doing basic training and set up, base defense, uh, different kind of planning for all things, you know, aircraft crashes or base incursions or those sorts of things. Uh, we also did natural disaster relief. Um, but I do remember it uh, quite fondly. I remember the Air Force as being a pretty good place to work. When I first got here, August of 2000, you know, I just got to the the base. I was still new here. I was the only E3 in the shop. Everyone else uh, was E5 or above. And the phone call comes and they're like, oh, uh, a Japanese nuclear plant just reported an incident. And so I'm like, okay. And the next thing I know, everybody's getting in their banana suits and we're almost out of the gate when they call back and say, oh, it's a false alarm. But it was like that moment where I realized, uh, yeah, this is this is exciting. <laughs> they didn't really tell me how this would feel in boot camp. Whoa, this is way more serious than I thought. Uh, good stuff, man. And appreciate you kind of sharing that. I think you're a personal example of the stark contrast between what we do in the military and what we can go on to do with the rest of our lives. Because we finished the military at a relatively young age and we don't have to go, okay, I was MP or I was emergency management. That must be what I do when I get out. I must be cop. I must be mechanic. I must be whatever I was. And you're a great example of that. Tell me about what you transitioned into and how you got into academics. I was over here and um, uh, taking classes with UMGC. And I had a writing professor who I was using, you know, my 9-11 GI Bill benefits. And a writing professor was like, you know, there's a spot open at UMGC. And I think at the time I was in... Uh, UMGC for like business administration or something like that. But he, he basically was like, why don't you apply? And so I applied as a, you know, entry level ground floor time to start over thing, uh, helping distance education students. And I remember talking to some of the deans that were here then and kind of talking about what I wanted to do or what I didn't know what I wanted to do. I don't know if I still know what I want to do when I grow up. But one of our, our deans basically told me, she was like, well, you know, if you really like computers, why are you doing business admin if you don't like it? And so I was like, yeah, why? Why don't I? You know, like I have these benefits that, you know, I did, I served, I get to use and, you know, I want to learn something new. And so from then on, I, I went through a regular, you know, IT program Then went on to get my master's degree in cybersecurity. Uh, I'm currently in another master's degree program because I like learning in uh, data analytics. Uh, just because it's kind of interesting to see those things. And then it just kind of, I don't know, taking the right program for me really opened up to me that idea of education as being something that anyone can use for the purpose that they they want to put it towards. You know, so staying on at UMGC and having various roles there, helping students, and now as this, you know, enrollment operations director and helping with our special programs and our MBA students, et cetera. Like, it's a weird path, but what ultimately got there was not being afraid to try something new and getting just that tap on the shoulder that says, hey, just because you did this for X number of decades, 
you know, doesn't mean that you can't turn around and try something new. Uh, it doesn't mean you can't explore. And, and I, I would encourage that for anybody that's out there. If you're looking around and saying, I want to try something new, uh, don't be afraid to try it. You know, like you might find something absolutely unexpected. Yeah, man. But what directions do we want to go? I think that brings us to the heart of the matter here. What do you think good majors are, you know, for guaranteed work in this world? Well, I think that you can look, there's quite a few good lists. You know, a lot of times if you search for things like vets, you'll get things like criminal justice or engineering or nursing. There's always IT fields. There's communication fields like you talked about. There really are a ton of options to choose from. And it's sometimes a little bit difficult to say what's going to be the next thing, right? For everyone that is a communications major like you, Phil, you know, how many people thought that you would see this kind of kind of self-creator kind of style where we're seeing now where independent folks are being able to make a living doing that. So my question is is generally to steer away from saying, oh, I have to have something that's going to be a high paying job. I have to have something that's super in demand and really ask yourself what you want to do. And it's okay to choose something else even later if you decide it's not for you. Uh, but the, that's, that's, it's got to be the first question. Like any list you get uh, will have so many different factors and there's so many different ways to look at it. So the question is really talking to yourself about it and saying, what do you want to do? Because uh, as vets, we're uniquely positioned to be able to do anything, to be able to take on any challenge. You know, engineering is a great place, um, but there's a lot of folks who get a degree and then they go do something else. So if you know that you want to be a veterinarian, you know you've got to follow a certain path for that. Uh, but if you're just saying, I'm interested in computers, oh, there's networking, there's security, there's uh, all kinds of things. Cyber laws becoming a big thing now. So there are so many different avenues to pursue. Uh, you just want to be comfortable with what you want. Uh, what else do you think UNGC does well for the veteran as far as majors? Ultimately, we do have some fantastic programs. Uh, that it really, because UMGC has kind of been, I mean, we're celebrating our 75 years, uh, ma mainly focused on adult learners, military, uh, online work, et cetera. You know, um, we've really got a handle, I think, on being in a good position of helping vets and active duty students as well uh, to be able to succeed in any degree. Um, but I do love our cyber programs. Uh, I, you know, I'm a little bit biased towards them because I've been in them. Uh, but the teachers are just really fantastic. Um, there's a data analytics program that I'm in. Uh, I just love the idea of what we do with the kind of teacher practitioner style uh, where many of our professors are also kind of uh, outstanding performers in their fields. You know, so even in something like an MBA at UMGC, uh, my MBA professors here in Asia, you know, um, uh, my teacher is a, was a CEO for different companies. My marketing and technology teacher mar worked for AT&T and other big pharma companies. He's been a marketer for a while. You know, our, our accounting guru is an accountant. So there's nothing that really to me, like can hold a candle, I guess you'd say, to having that scholar practitioner, having somebody that has a, that educational background, those terminal degrees and the experience. Um, but the innovations and things that they're doing in the cyber degree uh, and continually refreshing. Yeah, maybe that would be the best answer, because ultimately, like it's so hard to kind of fit some of these IT modalities into traditional academics. Uh, so the amount of time that our 
our program chairs, program directors spend in that classroom really making sure that they're tweaking things to try and keep it as up-to-date as possible. Uh, it makes for a really fantastic program. I think that just about does it, man. That's a great look at the majors. That's a great look at kind of the landscape of what's out there today. Hey, just as a fun fascination, I'm always curious about those that live in Asia and the differences in our cultures. And, you know, we talked gadgets in our setup for this interview. What are some cool gadgets? What are some cool things you see on the streets in Tokyo you don't see in America? And I'm thinking of like their vending, their concessions, their restrooms. Like they, 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 there's so many cool things. What are some of your favorite unique things you see on the streets of Tokyo? I mean, the vending machines are always awesome because like anything can be gotten in a vending machine, like literally anything. So ramen uh, or a new t-shirt or, you know, whatever you might need. You might find yourself needing a new pair of socks because it was raining and your socks got wet. And there's a vending machine right there for a couple hundred yen of socks. Um, my favorite gadgets are, are kind of like the the simple ones. You know, I'm sitting here looking kind of over uh, my computer into my kitchen and like just things like my microwave and oven and toaster are all together and I can change the settings and put the timer on and go from one to the other without having to wait for anything to cool down. They do a lot of these kind of combination convenience type gadgets and things like that. And of course, yeah, the, the heated toilet seats are always great. You, you can't forget those, but like, um, my bathtub for some reason has a TV in it and then, you know, like everything's controlled automated. So it's like if the kids are going to have a bath, you know, just put a push a button and it's this temperature filled up to this level. Those kinds of things in life are pretty cool over here. Things I never thought I would think of. I'm going to take a shower. Hold on. Let me pick a movie to watch. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so cool, man. Will Stevens, Air Force veteran and associate director of enrollment at uh, UMGC's Asia headquarters. Again, University of Maryland Global Campus. Appreciate you staying up late with us and uh, really taking that, I think, honest look at college education for the veteran. I think that that's exactly the kind of medicine we need to hear because um, there's a lot of life left to live when you get out of the military, man. So let's live our oh, best yeah. one. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. It was fun. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. 
Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sant from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts.